Since Tomorrowland is still in theaters, the first few minutes of this episode will be spoiler-free. Just watching episode 49, Tomorrowland. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we have both gone to see Tomorrowland in the theater separately. And actually, um, Tim has actually seen the movie more recently than I have. It's been a few weeks for me. <laughs> this, this movie was a Disney movie and is still in theater, so we're going to try and not spoil it for the first few minutes that we talk about it. The music was done by Michael Giacchino. I think I'm saying his name right. And <laughs> <laughs> these uh, Italian names get me every time. Yeah, it was an Italian guy last time too, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> I guess there's a lot of Italian composers out there. <laughs> Now, what did you think of the movie? Just curious. Uh, as we uh, had discussed earlier, we were looking forward to going to see the movie as a family because having lived in Florida, my family used to have annual passes to Disney. Mm -hmm. And there's a ride at Disney in the Tomorrowland section called Carousel Progress. Mm -hmm. And we went into the movie convinced that there would be all kinds of uh, Easter eggs for people who really know Tomorrowland. Mm -hmm. And there actually were. Um, mm -hmm. though they weren't as well hidden as I expected them to be. Um, for instance, the opening music was the, uh, the music written by the Sherman brothers. Uh, it's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And in Carousel Progress, you're actually encouraged to sing along. So I actually, <clears throat> I actually got shushed by a theater viewer when my son, daughter, and I started singing along to the opening music. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, there there was a lot of Disney uh, product promotion and endorsement and stuff going on in this movie, which, I mean, it's a Disney movie, so what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> it, there, was, uh, there was one scene that felt like it was an entire commercial. <laughs> yeah, and I will warn anybody who hasn't gone to see the movie yet that if if you get songs stuck in your head, um, I will be <laughs> will tell you that they play It's a Small World After All in this movie. And that song is is notorious for getting stuck in your head. And if you've ever gone on that ride, you'll know that it, um, it you can't shake it for a year after because <laughs> it repeats <laughs> over and over and over again. So, but yeah, it's um it's the ride. Um, there's a character who goes through that ride, and so you you hear the song repeated a, a few times. I was like, no, no, Disney torture. <laughs> You do wonder if the people who work that ride are vaccinated somehow against that earworm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, or maybe they just heard it so many times that they're crazy or something. <laughs> I don't know. You have to sign a waiver before working that ride. Yeah. Now, the um, movie was, of course, PG. And so it's relatively clean. Mm-hmm. Um, by Disney standards, I guess. Um, there's nothing sexual in it. It's um, uh, it's kind of interesting because I don't really recall hearing any bad language, but I looked up the plugged in online review and they listed um, several um, words that I guess Christians would consider bad. I guess mm -hmm. the secular world necessarily wouldn't. But there was taking the Lord's name in vain. There was some of the what I would call the softer bad language in the movie. So it wasn't super clean if you're like really, really um, critical about bad language. So. There you I, have it. I, I haven't read the plugged in review yet, mm -hmm. um, but honestly, I can't think of a single instance where I noticed the bad language. <laughs> so uh, I, yeah, it, must I, have, it must have been really well integrated for mm -hmm. it to slip by like that. Well, you know, I just typically don't hear the softer stuff anymore. Anyway, the um, there was violence in the movie, 
some relatively bloodless violence, but people do die. That I actually found that uh, that type of violence to be distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later in in the non-spoiler sections. Uh, but uh, if you remember in the opening sequence of Men in Black, the mm-hmm. uh, uh, agents uh, Jay and uh, it was the Kay? guy or K and the guy who was before Jay uh, try to capture the um, the guy posing to be an immigrant worker, mm-hmm. and uh, they end up shooting him, and he turns into this blue goo and flies all over the place. Uh, the that that was very similar to the effect that we have in Tomorrowland for many of the things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, and it seems to me it seems really weird in, that in a PG movie they think that killing people bloodlessly is any less violent than killing them bloodily. So. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it it's like is the P, do you, is a rating for the blood or is a rating for the event? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, anytime you kill people, it's bad. So, I mean, what can you say? I guess that just the the rating system these days is based on how much blood and gore, because I know that that there's a level between PG-13 and rated R that has to do with the amount of blood and gore. So I suspect it's the same kind of thing for PG. I should read up on uh, what the what the steps are for the rating system. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it really should be the event. It should be mm-hmm. how it deals with, uh, you know, with the reality, you know, the reality of the, of death, the necessity of causing somebody's death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overall, despite the violence, this movie was fairly optimistic, and yeah. I don't want to ruin the whole theme of the movie for people who haven't seen it yet. But if you've seen previews for it, you kind of get that general feel that if this is not dystopian media that we're watching it's it's more of a um a more positive outlook about the future but there's other things going on in the movie that that makes that important so it is actually an important theme i think that ties back importantly uh because you know i want to make sure we say important often (laughs) um i think it ties back well to walt disney's vision of the future as he mm-hmm. presented it at the 1964 world fair which is where right. um the the root of this entire tomorrowland concept started with the uh, carousel progress mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it's it's um it's a unique spin i think on a trend that's going on in movies right now i mean we have a lot of dystopian especially aimed at young adult um, it's, it's all about the end of the world and there's zombies and there's hmm. nuclear war and there's global warming and there, I mean, every which way you turn, there's something dystopian in common literature. Um, and so we're getting bombarded from it from all angles. And this movie was a very unique spin on it. And I think that it was, it was helpful for it to come out because it, it kind of perhaps will change the trend a little bit, I hope. Yeah. I it, I don't want to give anything away, but I liked how they took that fascination, mm-hmm. uh, society's fascination with uh, end of the world events or even just bad events and worked it into a, a core theme of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it um it was done well. And I, I can't wait till we get to to get past the spoiler free zone so we can talk about <laughs> it in depth. Um, the movie. I think will appeal to both young boys and girls. It's um, got enough action in it for the male audience, but the female is is the female lead is the you know the heroine. So there's something in there for girls as well. And I don't know. It just it felt very Disney to me. So <laughs> you know when you said there's something in there for girls as well, I was thinking and uh, George Clooney doesn't count. <laughs> Oh no, he's for the older women, not the girls. <laughs> the mothers. The mothers, yeah. Um, I, one last thing that really fascinated me, um, and this, it's not really a spoiler, but Disney bought out Star Wars fairly recently, and they made heavy use of that 
in this oh, movie. Boy, did I was, they ever. I was just, I was like, can we throw more Star Wars in this movie and still have it be something other than Star Wars? You, you know, the weekend, uh, the when we saw it, Star Wars Weekends was actually going on at Disney. So as we drove by all the Disney stuff, because we were uh, in the Orlando area for a a family event, there was Star Wars stuff up everywhere for Disney. And (laughs) they've been doing Star Wars weekends for years and years and years. Um, But I think this is the first one since they actually bought the Star Wars rights, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I don't know that they've had them had star wars that long i know that they they started doing the animated star wars right after they bought it um that animated version of it but uh according to google who knows all uh october 30th 2012 was when uh the news broke about disney okay that's yeah i didn't think it was that long ago no no certainly wasn't no okay well great well, I think we've probably talked this to death as much as we can without spoiling anything. So if you've lif- listened up to this point, you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it spoiled, I highly recommend you turn this off, go see the movie, and come back and turn it back on because we want you to hear the rest of our discussion. And we'd love to hear any thoughts you have about <laughs> how our discussion ties into what you thought about the movie. Yes, definitely. We don't do too many of these in the theater reviews anymore. And uh, it's prop, prop mostly because it's hard to match schedules up so we can both see a movie while it's still in the theaters <laughs> yeah. and get recorded while it's still in the theaters. And uh, so th- this will um, probably be what we talk about for Tomorrowland. We'll probably ne- never readdress this movie. So um, if people have any thoughts, especially even after it comes out on DVD, when people can watch it more than once and really get into it, we'd love to start discussions on it in the show notes, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 49. Hey, we're getting really close to our 50th episode. Yay! (laughs) And, uh, you know, there is a whole lot in this movie that uh, is ripe for discussion. There's no way we could cover it all. And, uh, you know, the continuing comments, the comments in the uh, on the website are a great way to bring up the stuff that you thought was important. All right. So now we don't have to worry about spoilers because all the people who haven't seen the movie have now left, hopefully. Uh, but they've come back. Yes, they have come back. But and they've now they've seen, seen the, movie. the movie. Yes. <laughs> How was it? Oh, it's great. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I think I'll let you lead the discussion because you've seen it more recently than I have. That's great. I'd be happy <laughs> to. Um, it, when I sat down to do all the notes, one of the the biggest themes that uh, that jumps out at me, and it might be you know just because I had a sermon at church on it a couple weeks ago, but uh, um, the whole idea of responsibility for what God's given us, um, the stewardship, um, mm-hmm. the idea of being a brother's keeper, um, the question of, you know, who is my, who is our neighbor? Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of this movie really comes back to that question for me. Uh, there's a scene late in the movie where, uh, governor Nix does his, uh, requisite, Bad guy uh, e- monologue. Exactly. Evil <laughs> evil scientist monologue. And explains that, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I think you have the quote written down, don't you? I do, yeah. I, I didn't get it all, but I got the general gist of it. Um, he says something to the order of, they didn't fear their demise. They packaged it, um, sprinted towards it with gleeful abandon. They wouldn't believe in a better future, so they don't work for one. Or they don't believe in a better future. Something and- like that. Yeah, and that and that's actually the part that uh, I had commented before the spoiler section. Um, you can rewind if you happen to have stopped listening at the spoiler section, went and seen the movie, and then come back, and now it's a couple of days later, and you don't know uh, where it focus where it talks about how society has become fascinated with the idea of the end of the world mm-hmm. and are just accepting it. Right, but even still. Nix doesn't seem to feel like he has any responsibility 
for the uh, for the prime dimension, the the I want to call it the real world, but that's not quite accurate either. The original I, dimension. Yeah, yeah, and it, and you know the really interesting thing is um, before he actually gives his monologue, there was a statement where where they kind of asked him, you know, why aren't we using Tomorrowland to save the world? And he's like, well, we can't let people know about it because they're savages. And if we tell them about that we're here, they'll just come here and make it happen here, too. And so his his perspective is let's let's just close the gates and protect ourselves from these savages who can't do anything but destroy their own world. Yet somehow they expect to survive the end of the world, this doomsday countdown clock Mm -hmm. without being affected by the end of the prime dimension you know i don't think that's it i think that they i think they realize they're going to end too because when when you go back when they go back to tomorrowland the real you know instead of the commercial that she's seeing but the you know when they actually get there it's rather deserted you know it's kind of ruined and messed up and and there's not a lot of people there anymore and i think it's because they stopped the interaction between the two dimensions and i think it was they were believing the 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 lie or the they were believing that the world was going to end too and so they were just kind of hunkering down and waiting for the end i don't think they were any better than the real world they just didn't have the massive population of people believing the lie they just had a a much smaller uh, group so they they were completely apathetic then yeah i think that's what it was i just think they just gave up and i think that's kind of the one of the underlying themes in this movie was that everybody gave up the only person who didn't give up was the eternal optimist yeah yeah, and and she's she's the one who's asking, okay, I I get that everything is bad. What do we do to fix it? Right, and nobody else was asking that question. Everybody's like, everything's bad. <laughs> we give up. <laughs> We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. <laughs> you know, it it uh, now that you've brought it into perspective, it reminds me of that uh, James uh, that often miss attributed James Burke quote uh, all that is required for evil to triumph is that good men do nothing mm-hmm. which is uh, I don't even think accurate the way I said it but um, that's it sort of what, yeah that's sort of what's happening here mm-hmm. um, that the apathy of the Tomorrowland and and clearly they've got they've got the technology to uh, well, they're supposedly full of geniuses. That's where all the geniuses go. Yeah. So you would think that somebody there could figure out um, how to fix it. Uh, there was a Athena had a, a, a something that she told Frank at one point. He, he's, he's saying, what are we going to do now? And she says, well, there's a plan. You just haven't come up with it yet. Because mm-hmm. he's the genius. She's not. <laughs> I just thought that was funny that that she's expecting him to come up with the plan because... He's, he's That's his job. That's his job. Yeah. It was sort of weird the uh, how to quantify the relationship between Frank and Athena. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't age. He has become uh, not elderly, certainly, but uh, a mature, uh, a mature adult. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could almost say that there was almost a little bit of pedophilia going on. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't really sure if you know. It, it, um, made, you know the difference between uh, um, oh, philia, eros, and um, agape. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know which which love was it that Frank had for Athena and that Athena in her malfunction had for Frank? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the thing about Athena is that regardless of what she looked like, she was as old as Frank was, if not older. Yeah. So it, it wasn't necessarily that, that she's a child. It, it's that, um, she just looks like a child. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Um, the fact that Frank knew her when he was a child, they, they formed a very, um, they they formed a relationship before he knew that she was not of an organic being. I guess I should say <laughs> I can't. Rem- I didn't wasn't able to write down exactly um, what they 
um, called her. Um, she didn't like to be called a robot, so it was like animated something or uh, other. Audio, audio animatronic, I think. Audio was animatronic. The, yeah, the AA. That's what Walt Disney actually called the actors in all of his, um, you know, all of his shows, including Carousel Progress and The Hall of Presidents and, um, mm -hmm. you know, all those. Um, as far as I'm concerned, they're just fancy uh Fancy words for robots. Yeah. <laughs> there so was guess... uh, there was one line that I loved uh, between Frank and Athena, the young Frank and Athena, uh, where Frank has been trying to get her to laugh. Uh huh. And yeah, uh, I and she that. says, uh, "I think I figured out why you haven't gotten me to laugh." And Frank says, "Why's that?" And Athena replies, "Because you're not funny." <laughs> so she knows sense of humor apparently yes yeah well i mean sh she had a certain level of of programming i guess that that she could operate within and that kind of interaction probably wasn't part of it so yeah you know we're seeing a lot more of these um of these movies or at least i'm noticing a lot more of these movies where they bring into question the line between um, a, a creature created by man and, and man as created by God. Mm -hmm. um, it, what was that uh, that big one? Uh, Ex Machina. Um, I haven't seen it. It's uh, a little too high gluten for me, but yeah. Um, and you did that review on. Um, the Robin Bicentennial Williams. Man? Yeah, Bicentennial Man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and we just did um, Transcendence, which was a, a different exactly. take on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, another one, AI. Mm -hmm. um, now that's an older movie. Yeah. Of course, so is Bicentennial Man. I was trying to remember now if Bicentennial Man came out before Artificial Intelligence or if they came out about the same time. We'd have to go back and look at the dates. Yeah. But... I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, they're both pretty old movies. So. But it, it, yeah. it's a staple for science fiction, certainly. It is. Oh, yeah. I mean, th even in Star Trek, you had Data, who was an android that was basically a Pinocchio. He, he wanted to be a man. Mm -hmm. And and then in, in Voyager, you had, that was Next Generation, in Voyager, you had the, 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 uh, the doctor, the medical officer, who yep. was nothing more than a hologram. And, and it was kind of the same I mean, it's something that we've we've I guess toyed with for in science fiction forever. <laughs> mm -hmm. I I do wonder what the earliest example of it would it have been Rossum's Universal Robots or maybe something before that. I don't know. Asimov was writing, you know, his robot series, but I don't know that he ever tried to tie them into human emotion, though. I mean, Bicentennial Man was close, but it wasn't part of his main repertoire. Yeah. Certainly. Oh, so. But I've completely taken you off topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of figured this this would be a fairly freeform discussion. So. Um. So what was? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Stewardship. Um. A lot of the movie comes back to: Are you taking care of what you have? Mm -hmm. And there's that one um, series of scenes where she's where the main character Casey is in school. And the teachers are all doom and gloom with uh, oh yeah, just bombarding her with it. Nuclear war and environmental yeah. collapse and you name it, it's all I there. How, I wonder how much of of education because I I don't have kids in school. You do, maybe you know how much of education really is like that. It's honestly I couldn't tell you, but my kids and I talk about what they do in school, and frankly, it has been almost all test prep for them mm. for the last i want to say five or six years wow they're just learning to test they're not yep learning for... it's terrible it's, yeah it they're is. not they're not learning they're preparing and yeah. they're losing the stuff that makes education great <laughs> that's such a sad thing yeah i i kind of walked away um thinking that this movie was definitely critiquing our education system and in um, 
I mean, the, one of the, and you're kind of getting there with the stewardship, but one of the main themes of this movie was the, um, the I guess the, the saying in the movie was the, about feeding the two wolves. Mm-hmm. And th- this was something that she actually, uh, we saw her say even before we saw her in school where she was talking to her dad. And and uh, I, I think it's a, taken from an Indian story, um, a Native American story, I should say. Um, but it's basically that there's two wolves fighting. One is darkness and despair and sorrow, and the other is hope, joy, and love. And the one who wins is the one you feed. And she was having this conversation with her dad because her father was very depressed about the um, upcoming loss of his job, that he was going to be unemployed. And um, and so she was trying to make him be a little more optimistic about it. And because, as I've said earlier, she is an eternal optimist. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah not only is she an eternal optimist, but she's also an active optimist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find out in the movie that she is actively taking steps to ensure her father stays employed. Right. <laughs> in as much as she breaks into NASA and breaks the stuff he has to fix. Well, yeah, well, he's she's breaking the stuff that's taking down the the uh, Cape Canaveral launching pad. And so and they do eventually catch her and put her in prison. So it, it, it's, it's an inter- that's actually the way the movie almost starts. There's a frame story that um, kind of ties it all together. Um, but you kind of get. Frank's story first, which is very short, mm-hmm. and you don't even get all of it because Casey cuts him off because he's getting all doom and gloom too quickly. <laughs> and the the framing there is uh, it's an interesting idea of the framing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they did a great job with the frame story, and and you don't even really realize what the frame is until you get to the end. It's kind of like one of those little gotchas. Yeah, a, rev- and- a nice reveal at the end. The nice reveal at the end. And I, I thought that they did that very well. But I think that Frank, had, by that point, would have been a little more optimistic. And at the beginning of the movie where they start the frame, he's so doom and gloom. And it, it's like I would have thought that by the time you'd gotten through the movie, he would have had a slightly better take on things than it sounds like he does. They have to introduce the movie with his character being real to his character, I guess. Yeah, so. it, it you know maybe that's just something that uh, had to fall into the stuff I wish we could have done category. <laughs> yeah, because they really they they stuffed this turkey full of of uh, cornbread goodness here. <laughs> well, I keep interrupting you and taking you away from your. <laughs> Your point you were trying to make about stewardship. Yes. So, (laughs) stewardship. Um, I think it was interesting the way that Tomorrowland actually tied back to the idea that we are responsible for the stuff that we have um, expressed power over. And Mm -hmm. as, as Christians, we believe that that power, the power that we possess over creation is a directive, a, a specific directive from God. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, it, I, I don't know how atheists tie that together as we might, but, uh, you know, they, they have to admit they, they can ex- affect change in the environment. Oh, yeah. Well, to them, I think, uh, even though atheists claim they have no God, they've only replaced God with nature. So even though they wouldn't ever claim that they worship the planet in in some way, because their their highest mandate is science and the natural world, they put the natural world in the place of God. And so in, in a way they worship the natural world and if you worship it then you'll take care of it yeah we have a mandate from our creator god to take care of his creation they are treating his creation like their god so they're two degrees off (laughs) i mean it's it's romans one repeated i mean that's that's exactly what god said they would do if if he gave them up to their own desires you know um Google has this wonderful feature called Google Now. I don't know if you have an Android phone. Maybe some of our listeners do, um, where it keeps track of your searches and will provide interesting information Mm -hmm. about stuff you've searched about. 
Mm-hmm. And as we were getting ready to see Tomorrowland, I, of course, searched for movie times. And the next day, an article comes up on my Google now that is a review of Tomorrowland. And it talks about the director, Brad Bird, who is one of my all-time favorite directors, and an apparent fascination he has with Anne Rand's objectivism. (laughs) Now, I've never read Anne Rand, and uh, I have checked out the anrand.com i tend to think of uh you had just described atheists as holding the natural world up and i tend to think you know i tend to stereotype atheists the same way but when i was Mm -hmm. reading about the objectivism of Anne rind um they hold they are much more humanist um Mm -hmm. very much like uh, interstellar was where it Humanity is a solution to all of its own problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, that seems to be a really common theme in a lot of movies, but it was just as prevalent here in Tomorrowland. Oh, yeah. I mean, anything um, that that is based on a world worldview that is secular is going to come back to that mankind can fix it um, mentality. And I think that I don't think humanism is that far from naturalism. I really think that they they kind of walk hand in hand. So two, it's two sides or two sides of the same coin type thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because um, humanism is still a naturalistic viewpoint. So it, it's just taking it a step. It's like it's kind of like communism is a type of socialism. Socialism is the broad way of looking at it communism is a specific kind of socialism i think naturalism is the broader view humanism is kind of like the more um pointed or exclusive um form of naturalism yeah jason rennie would probably know (laughs) yeah (laughs) he talks about this sort of stuff all the time yes he does and he's good at it for those of you who don't know that he is the host of our sister podcast uh the sci-fi show and the sci-fi journal is his publication this podcast actually grew out of jason rennie's right. the sci-fi show yeah the first episode makes very good sense that we are along similar themes the tendency but with the sci-fi show that's different from are you just watching as we keep our discussion to one movie typically if we mention other movies it's just to make a point but where our discussion is focused on one movie he tends to take a type of philosophy and use several different movies to illustrate that philosophy so okay all right back to stewardship (laughs) (laughs) we're never gonna get through this are we (laughs) Uh, the theme of the movie of taking care of what you have is a very common theme in the Bible too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's, I think it is no coincidence that it is a, uh, that there's a commonality in that theme. I think it's part of common grace that we expect ourselves to uh, take care of it. Mm-hmm. And I can see how people get that, backwards get it confused uh, right with the, with the whole humanism and uh naturalism mm-hmm. um it's uh the 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 scripture that i, I don't want to read the whole scripture because it's a, a longer one but the parable of the talents um mm, yeah. in matthew 25 uh, verses 14 through 30 is, is uh, a great representation of this uh, not only is it, did you take care of what you were given control over, mm-hmm. but did you grow it? Did you nurture it? And uh, Governor Nix in Tomorrowland is definitely uh, not a steward of what... <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's the servant who buried the town. <laughs> yeah, exa- that's exactly what I was thinking. He was the evil servant who... Just, you know, put it out of the way and uh, figured it was safe. Therefore, pff, I'm doing a good job. Yeah, it's it's definitely there in the movie that you're supposed to take care of what you're given. But I think it's more about um, the the concept of uh, 
your attitude about things. I mean, yeah. the, the pessimism versus optimism was introduced fairly early in the movie with the bad wolf story. And the, I mean, the two wolves story. And, and it carried through so obviously. I mean, it was like they were hitting you over the head with this, this theme. It, it came at, in over and over again. And the climax of the movie is them discovering that this uh, monitor thing that Frank had created was actually broadcasting negativity into the real world. And feed, making everybody feed the wrong wolf. Yeah, it was actually fulfilling its own prophecy. Mm-hmm. It, it said the world was going to uh, die a horrible death because it was created and started to prompt the world to die a horrible death. <laughs> right. And I thought it was very interesting that the first time when Frank and Casey are re- really having a conversation together, they happen to be standing next to his hijacked um, countdown uh, the probability <laughs> for the end of the world. And and she's like, well, I don't believe it. And the 100% certainty that the world was going to end in, what was it, 58 days, yeah. um, went down to 99.9% when she said I, that. I like that. And didn't he yeah. miss it right then? No, he saw it. Okay. And I think that's when he changed his mind about helping her because he, he kind of looked at it like, oh, no. <laughs> it changed. Wow. So, yeah, I think that that was the point where he changed from fighting this, I need to help her, to, okay, grudgingly going along with it because he saw the probability change because she refused to believe it. You know, that's actually an interesting thought for me is he's completely accepted that that there's nothing you can do to prevent the world from ending. Right. And he's he has the... Given cap- up. Yeah, he's, he's given up. He's got the capability to make change, but... Mm-hmm. It, like Governor Governor Nix, he doesn't do anything. He just accepts it. And well, he was that was the conditions of his exile. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he had to. They they if he had tried to do anything or say anything or in any way interrupt, um, they would have come and killed him. So that was the condition of him staying alive and being exiled was to keep his mouth shut. It's when he realizes that there was something he might be able to do. I wonder if he felt any guilt over it. Yeah. Well, you know, he was, he was depending it all on Casey though, because the the whole conversations that he has with Athena is, do you think that she can fix it? And, and Athena's like, well, let's find out, you know, I don't, I don't think at any point he thought that he could have, um, I don't think that he saw himself as part of the solution. He just saw himself as a vehicle of getting the solution where it needed to go. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. It's he was just as much a part of the movie. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that that was his mentality was that I I it's past me. I can't fix it. So, now that we found somebody who can, it's now my job to make sure she gets where she needs to be. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm the uh, the escort, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> you know one of my favorite lines was um, when he's he's getting her to where they need to be, and and he says, "Can you just be amazed and move on?" Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's just, "Oh wow! Oh cool! Oh!" <laughs> oh, and every every weird out of this world thing that happens to her, like uh, they ride the bathtub, the bathtub <laughs> rocket into a uh, a pond. Yeah, she rolls out of the bathtub. She's laughing. <laughs> I'd be recovering from a heart attack. (laughs) Oh, and I just loved that the Eiffel Tower is actually a rocket launcher. (laughs) You know, it it was after that scene, after the whole uh, launch of the the rocket through the Eiffel Tower, where I wish I had been paying more attention to what the the names that they were calling everything, Mm because the whole rocket tower, the whole rocket Eiffel Tower thing, uh, that's what they were calling spectacle, right? I don't know. Um, it, it certainly was a spectacle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love the fact that they, it, I actually asked this to uh, to my son who was sitting right next to me at the theater. What about everybody who's seeing this? And then they showed everybody watching this happen. I, uh-huh. I got a kick out of that. It, it's With their cell phones out yeah, and exactly. filming it. <laughs> How does the world recover from something like that? 
Well, that was kind of the point they made when when they got oh, um, to talking to Nick's was he they were like, he's like, I this would require so much cleanup, but I'm not going to bother because the world's going to end anyway. So did you catch that yeah. dialogue? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I'm not even going to bother trying to fix that because who cares? They're all going to die. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't help but to wonder if that was actually part of the uh, idea behind such thoughtless the the thoughtless killing that was happening in the movie mm-hmm. um it's we're well into they're all the, dead anyway yeah we're well into the spoiler zone so oh yeah the, the first uh the first deaths that happen in the movie are these agents of tomorrowland who you find out very shortly thereafter are actually androids uh, excuse me audio animatronics and uh they kill three police officers yeah. at the scene of a uh, at a crime scene mm-hmm. and they just shoot them and they dissolve into blue goo mm-hmm. and uh just bloodless yeah bloodless but excuse me these people had families mm-hmm. and yeah you know i think that even our children's entertainment now is really devaluing human life yeah and I, I think that it's it's a symptom of our culture that, I mean, we, we, we our kids play video games where they shoot people, um, and that's considered entertainment. And I'm pro-gun. I'm not against guns whatsoever. Yeah. But um, th- the issue that I have with it is that we're training up a bunch of mindless people who have no um, value for um, the things that are really important. And I think this movie, despite its optimism, is underlies that kind of of um, total apathy about what humans stand for. Yeah. And and that that senseless violence, the senseless killing of people that didn't need to die. Um, you would think they would have come up with technology like they had in Men in Black, where they look at the bright light and suddenly they can reset all their memories. Yeah. You know. I mean. Flashy thingy. Well, yeah, the flashy thingy in Men in Black. I mean, there could have been ways they could have worked around just killing people. And and I think that that, that just, they don't even bother to find a workaround for that, even for a rated PG movie where it, to me, it behooves them to try and find um, less violent ways to, to solve those story problems. Uh, there was another scene uh, that just, when it happened, it, it tore my, even though I knew the character was okay. Mm-hmm. Just tore my heart out. Um, the scene where Athena gets hit by the truck. Mm-hmm. It happens on screen so fast. It, you know, this violence of action. The truck right. comes in, hits her. The viewer knows she's an android by this time. Right. There's no question. But I was thinking about the old guy who got out of the truck. Here he just killed a 10 or 11 year old girl. Mm-hmm. How do you not suffer from something like that? Yeah, but in our mentality nowadays, you can, you know, do a video game where you're not, you know, driving people down like zombie stuff, and 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 I we're almost being trained not to care. That that is that is truly terrible, and yeah. it, I can't see that it ends well. Mm-mm. No, well, I, well we're already the ultimate seeing it in end. our culture. Yeah, <laughs> looking forward to that one. But uh, oh yeah, the in between um, end. Yeah. Well, I think you know it's, it's kind of your point where you're saying that because they know everybody's going to die anyway, they don't long no longer take any any account of the death toll that they're taking, the body count. But I think you know we can even draw a Christian parallel on that in that. As Christians, we know that there is a definite end, um, but, but we're not pessimistic about it. Instead, it's a motivation for us to share the gospel. Yeah, because there there is good news in the bad news. <laughs> exactly. It's and we, of all people, we believe in an afterlife. Mm-hmm. And you know, Paul even says it. I think it's in Philippians, and I'll I'll look this up for the. Uh, for the show notes where he says, I'm ready to die, mm-hmm. but God still has work for me to do. 
Right. And I think that 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 kind of, you know, where they're 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 pulling this whole pessimism versus optimism thing about the end of the world. It's like, goodness, we know the world's going to end. The Bible tells us it will. Um, But we know that there's something beyond that to look forward to and that there's a price that we all have to pay. There's a decision we all have to make. And that gives us just the motivation to be more careful with other people's lives, because those who haven't had the chance to make that decision, their life is much more valuable than ours. If you look at it from that perspective, because because their soul is... Is uncertain. The yeah. destination of their soul is uncertain. And w- and we have a certainty of where our souls are going to go. And so we would actually, um, we would almost count those who are unsaved as more, their lives are more valuable than ours because they need to live in order to have time to make that decision that we've already made. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's one of the more difficult uh, ideas that it, I've always had trouble with is that... Uh, there will always be people who, regardless of any number of miraculous signs, mm-hmm. are still going to simply choose to not believe. I mean, God could come down, appear before them in a blaze of fire and glory, cause everyone else to disintegrate into ash, and they would still go, eh, I don't know, could be special effects. When Jesus was telling the story about the Lazarus and, and um, the rich man in, in uh, Sheol, and he, he says that the rich man says, well, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers um, what, what the afterlife is like. And Abraham uh, tells the rich man that, um, no, not even if somebody returns from the dead will they believe. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting that it was Jesus who told that story because he knew that he was going to come back from the dead. And he even brought people back from the dead. I mean, uh, he, he brought at least a couple people back from the dead and during his ministry. And, and yet he's right. Even if people return from the dead and tell them, you know, hey, this is important, um, people will still not believe. Yeah. The, 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 the way to God is, is hard and it's narrow and people will always choose the easy path. And I think that in a way this movie even brings that about that they take the easy road instead of the hard road. Um, there was a line, I think it was in the, in the frame story at the beginning, they said, even the tiniest of actions can change the future, but it's hard to have ideas and it's easy to give up. I don't remember which character said that, but that it may have been Casey. Now that I think about it. Um, it's hard to have good ideas. It's hard to find ways to fix things. And so you take the easy path by giving up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the, the things that they say in this movie. And I, being a Christian is not easy. I mean, it's not all um, butterflies and roses. Yeah. Um, it, it's a difficult path we choose to walk, um, but we have hope at the end of it. I think Christianity feeds the correct wolf. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh bunyan's pilgrim's progress does a great job illustrating all this mm-hmm. um if you can stand reading the uh the old english <laughs> that it's written in <laughs> now there was another interesting thing because i have read plugged in's review and they brought out something i thought was very interesting is you know the 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 um the two wolves fighting could actually be um a kind of a metaphor for the flesh versus the spirit um, that's as in thought. the Christian walk. And I, I thought that I was like, Hmm, yeah, you know what? That's, that's true. Because, you know, Paul talked about how he wanted to do good, but yet he would always do bad. And the things that he didn't want to do, he would do. And the things that he did want to yeah. do, he didn't do. And, and that whole struggle, um, back and forth. And I thought, you know, that, that, that the, the wolf metaphor would work really well for that as Fighting well. Fighting the old man. Right. Yeah. That's, I, I like that idea. And, you know, and, and when you, we, you feed yourself as a Christian with what you, um, what you put in comes out. And mm-hmm. so if you are feeding yourself on scripture, then scripture is going to come out of you. But if you're feeding yourself on the world, then the world is going to come out of you. And so I think that the, that, that wolf analogy works really well for the Christian walk as well. Yeah, it, whichever one you feed, mm-hmm. that's the one that's going to win. Right. <sighs> so... Um... 
I, I wanted to, I, I wrote down a number of uh, a number of questions in my notes where uh, it, because you always catch that when I write these questions down, you always seem to know the answer. <laughs> so uh, did you get any idea of why Casey wasn't affected by the negative brain race? I I think it was just because she was such an optimist. I don't know that there was a specific reason um, that that she was. I think that's what drew Athena to her was her optimism. And and so she was picked because she was probably the last person on Earth who was who was resisting um, the negative mentality. Uh, why she was able to resist it, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think they really brought that out other than the fact it was just her personality to be optimistic. I wonder if that uh, ties into the whole dreamer idea then. Were, yeah. Was dreamer un, just a – were they using it as a synonym for optimist or was it an additional quality? Well, I think it was an additional quality because Tomorrowland was originally founded to call in dreamers, um, not people who were necessarily optimistic, but, but people who had great ideas. Um, and so I think that um, once they took down the monitor, they were able to um, reapproach the original mandate of Tomorrowland, which was to bring in the dreamers and come up with ideas um, that would tend to get destroyed in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. At the recruiters at, at the end, uh, they kept them all as uh, preteens or uh, tween kids. Do you think that tied in? to to that idea at all i think some of them were young but i don't think all of them were i there think all a, of them were I, I don't recall that so i can't answer that question because it seemed to me it was a whole crowd of different ages and different genders and different ethnicities um there at the end uh, i think the ones you're thinking of were audience uh, you know those watching the recruiters get sent off uh, well i just thought they were talking to the all whole right crowd. that's it pause it let's go watch it again <laughs> we'll have to have our listeners who have seen the movie um, since our discussion about this that they can come up back and fix us on yeah. that. Yeah, that'd so. be good. Um, any anything else? I was worried at one point where they were focusing on uh, the environmental um, disaster thing, and uh, I realized that they were just using that in conjunction with the nuclear disasters. Uh, and violence and everything as uh, just staples of the, the decline of humanity. You know, it's very interesting that they didn't actually show you how the world ended because it goes into static. Remember when she was fast forwarding through the, the monitor? Yeah. And when it reached that, she was, she was looking at, at her home and at other places that she knew, and they suddenly went into the static, and when they came out of the static, um, everything was destroyed and her helm was underwater and all this kind of stuff. So they don't actually show you how it happens, just that it happened. Yeah. And we know that her home was in Florida. So being underwater, uh, being flooded makes perfect sense. Right. Because of the whole uh, melting of the ice caps being one of the... Uh, the doom and gloom Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they showed burning stuff and they showed riots. Uh, and I swear they took those riot pictures from, you know, news that week, it felt like. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that there's a lot of movies that have done that where they take, you know, news headlines and tie them into something going mm -hmm. on. Um, and and our, our headlines make it so easy. <laughs> What's going on in the world makes it so easy to yeah. steal from, from real news footage. But you know what? Humanity cannot fix it on their own. <laughs> no. Well, that's the thing is, is that there's, there's an additional aspect to just thinking positive about the world to change it. I think that um, you have to put thinking positive into perspective because um, what are you going to think positive about? I mean, where where is the solution? Isn't just thinking positively. There have to be solutions that you can think positively about. Yeah. And um, you can think positive till the day till the day ends, and you're not getting anywhere until you act on that positive thought. Yeah, it's you can sit on the porch, hoping the cows wander back. <laughs> or you can go look for them. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that, that that's one thing this movie kind of leaves out. I know that they're trying to find dreamers at the end, so they haven't necessarily said that 
um, it's fixed, but they're in the process of fixing it. That whole uh, monologue that that he has about um, finding we've torn down a big building. Now we have to figure out what to build in its place. So they haven't really presented the solution. They're just presenting the fact that you need to to think about a solution. You can't just sit back and accept it. Yeah, they, they never I didn't realize this before, but they never actually resolve the main conflict of the movie, which is the countdown. Right. Right. I mean, tearing down the monitor stopped the flooding everybody with negative thoughts, but that doesn't necessarily mean they stopped the end of the war. Exactly. <laughs> they just stopped watching it. <laughs> they just stopped, you know, having it beamed into their minds. Right, right. I, I, I guess I just, to me, I think that as a Christian, the end of the world is not that scary of a thing. I... I I know the world's going to end. I don't know whether it will happen in my lifetime or not. Sometimes the things going on around me in this day and age makes me think I'm living in the end times. But at the same time, God told us we wouldn't know the day nor the hour. It's going to catch us all unprepared. Yeah. And I feel like um, kind of the point of this movie is knowing when it's going to happen kind of forces forces the hand of fate or something like that. I think as Christians, it's a good thing that we don't know when or where or what. We yeah. just know that it is coming. And, and as as the um, the parable goes uh, about the, the brides, was it the bridesmaids who um, didn't have enough oil in their lamp and, yep. and they got left behind when the when the groom came. And I think it that to me, that's what scripture tells us is to just be ready to be prepared to be motivated by knowing that it's possible to happen at any hour so that we're working as if the kingdom is coming and um, to be prepared and to not be pessimistic about it, but to be motivated by it. Yeah, I think this movie does a a good job bringing that to the forefront. And uh, though it doesn't do it with the Christian worldview, um, as Christians, I think we can look at this movie and, and... be reminded yeah yeah apply it to um the way we should be thinking about the future not from a negative point of view but from an optimistic one based on our hope in christ exactly yeah well that's pretty much all the notes that i had for this one it's and you know taking notes in a dark theater ain't easy no it isn't now you understand why we don't do too many of these initial reaction episodes (laughs) I'd much rather wait till I have the DVD where I can watch it over and over again. <laughs> Rewind it. Quotes. Yeah. What What did I miss there? <laughs> what did they say? Uh, I'll tell you what. I I wouldn't mind going through that whole uh, scene with Hugo and um, the the mem- memorabilia shop mm, that yeah, gets blown up. There was a up. lot in there. Uh, yeah. You could do frame by frame to catch every <laughs> every piece of Disney that was in that store. Yeah, and Star Wars. Well, we've just established that Disney, I mean, Star Wars is now Disney, yep. but still, it was a lot of Star Wars in there. Yeah, there, there's a, I, I think this is one that I don't know whether I'll actually buy it on DVD, but when it comes out on DVD, I definitely want to see it again. Yeah. Um, it, just just to kind of um, put into position the, the things that I now have all mixed up in my mind because I've been thinking about it too much. <laughs> so anyway, we probably have talk this one to death as much as we can without the DVD in front of us to to look closer at. But we are interested in hearing what other people have to say. And so once again, the show notes will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 39. Um, so you can comment on the show notes. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail at 903-231-2221. Um, you can email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Uh, audio files are welcome if you want to record some feedback um definitely i mean this would be another really great movie for you to record what you thought of it and we could stick it in a feedback episode that would be wonderful yeah so and we would we've actually gotten uh, a couple new likes on the page recently and Mm -hmm. i'd love to hear comments from uh, some of our new listeners let it let us know yeah yeah and uh that that just brings to mind that you can follow us on Facebook. Um, we are just, are you just watching on Facebook? So just look for us there and uh, get active on the page. We, I think that will be the best place for us to drive discussion yeah. is in, is on, is on that um, forum. Uh, we, uh, 
definitely want you to uh, subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes if that's the way you follow us. Um, obviously, you can listen to our podcast on our website, but uh, you won't miss an episode if you um, subscribe on iTunes. And you can follow me on Twitter at Eve Franklin. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rencheple, which is a weird name, so I'll spell it. <laughs> R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And you'll find it in the show notes, too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tim actually tweets a lot more than I do. I usually just tweet when we have new episodes out. So I usually just tweet when my medication runs out. (laughs) Well, um, thanks again for listening to this um, probably fairly lengthy episode on Tomorrowland. And once again, uh, we just appreciate you tuning in and and joining us on this fun ride because it really was a fun ride. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Appropriate for Disney. It's appropriate for Disney. It was definitely a Disney movie. So I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. Thanks for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.